from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment. Your time to shine. Your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career. And you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. That's my Hannibal Lecter. It's kind of like, um... It's... It's me getting my cold brew every morning. (laughs) It's spooky season and all month long we are, you know, revisiting some of our favorite spooky movies, trying out some new ones, also looking at some, you know, larger thematic scary vibes. (laughs) Um, But today... We're diving into, I think, one of the most iconic psychological thrillers of all time that um, I watched for the first time last year and Fran just watched for the first time, Silence of the Lambs, starring Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins. Um, it has it has everything. It has thrills, the chills. Thrills, chills. Lesbianism. Cross-dressing, cannibalism, um, skin suits. Nipple piercings. Really good. Um, And, you know, obviously we're going to look back on it through a contemporary lens and talk about what we liked about it, what didn't like about it, um, you know, how it sort of, I think, spawned the true crime genre that exists today. Um, And also is a part of a maybe problematic or maybe not um, portrayal of gender deviant people. We get into it. Yes, uh, because this is like a virgin, the show where we give yesterday's pop culture today's takes. I'm Rose Daniel. And I'm Fran Toronto. So in these spe- in these bonus episodes this month, we will only be covering the main topic. So you'll get your news as normal on Thursday. You know, this is kind of a rare occurrence on the pod in that the cultural object that I am quote unquote introducing you to is one that is not actually super formative for me because I 
had never even seen Silence of the Lambs until a year ago. Oh, wow. It was it was somehow a cultural blind spot for me, but I watched it last year, totally loved it, and um, now you've and seen I it. I watched it last night. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to dive into it. Obviously, you know, this is one of those movies that sort of, you can't exist in pop culture and not know about this film. Yeah, it, it was definitely a movie that swept the Oscars, was a moment in the culture, was highly polarizing, controversial, but prestige. And you has, know. you know, has been referenced and rebooted. And, you know, Hannibal Lecter is such a looming figure. He's one of the most celebrated uh, horror villains. movie villains of all time. Things like w- with Faba Beans and a nice Chianti. Like, mm-hmm. those are just things that we say. Like, they're part of the lexicon the... Of, of pop culture. That, that is. Clarice. Um, you know, all of that. Uh, it puts the lotion on its skin. It's There's just, this movie looms very large in the cultural consciousness. And it's also very queer. Mm-hmm. Um, well. Often, well. Often, often problematically. So, I mean, it's very queer in that it depicts queerness in a pathologizing kind of depiction of queerness i guess you know it has a queer villain and it has some things to say about transness and it is part of a canon of films with gender deviant villains right yeah so if for anyone who out there who has never seen silence of the lambs For all the true virgins, Mm -hmm. Silence of the Lambs is a 1991 film that is based on a novel. It is about Clarice Sterling, who's a young FBI agent in training. She's still at school. Ostensibly lesbian. Ostensibly, (laughs) yes. Um, And she gets pulled into work on a case with Hannibal Lecter, who is a professor? A a doctor. doctor. A psychiatrist. A doctor who is in, you know, a maximum security um, psychiatric facility for murder because there is a killer on the loose who Lecter used to treat and he has asked for Clarice specifically. Oh, um, right. Yeah. And, uh, and she needs to work with him to help them find the missing girl. Who's been captured by Buffalo Bill. Who's been captured by killer. Buffalo Bill, who is a... Gay cross-dressing serial killer who skins his victims alive so mm-hmm. that he can wear their flesh. Yes. Which is like, J.K. Rowling could not have invented <laughs> a better gender deviant villain. Um, I'm sure she will borrow from it in like future. Well, no, she, she uh, has, she right? has, she released a book recently where yeah. there's a, a, a trans yeah. um killer. I mean, when you watched it a year ago, how did you feel about it? Like, what was your... I loved it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure you will have a lot of thoughts about the the queerness, and I'm sure that's a, a point where we will will really dig into mm-hmm. and, and possibly disagree on. I really liked it. I love, you know, I love horror movies in general. I think I lean towards... Things that are like a little bit more fantastical or scary, but I love a psychological thriller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And same. Silence of the Lambs is the psychological thriller. I would say um, I like to throw you down a hole, but I'd have to fatten you up first. You'd have to. That's one of the things I liked was you know there's fat representation because <laughs> as it's explained, Buffalo Bill only kidnaps plus size women. Uh, because there's more skin then, for him to work with. And then he starves them. He starves them so they get all a little loose and flabby. He puts them on a crash diet. 
He's got a he's got a Peloton down there in the hole. <laughs> he's got the Weight Watchers prescription. Um, you don't get prescribed Weight Watchers. You so get dragged a, there against your will by your mom, like what happened to me in middle school. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh god! Let's, we're taking that out. Yeah. No, no, no. Keep it in. No, keep it in. Keep it in. Um. Okay. 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 I will say, um, the thing that you talked about right at the top about how Silence of the Lambs like is kind of omnipotent in a lot of like thriller culture I think is part of the reason why I was kind of like bored when I watched it uh, I wouldn't say like I you felt were like it bored was, yeah I, w- I thought a lot of it was like slow unappealing like I didn't think that Anthony Hopkins was that scary I thought oh for me like Jody was the best part of the movie but I don't I, don't, I want to say that that's on a taste level like I'm not yeah. trying to say that I think the movie is like bad right like I but what I was uh, but about you also to, kind of are no, 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 no. I don't think the movie is bad. Um, uh, it's just not my taste. But I, I think that the thing you're talking about, that omnipotence, is actually the reason I didn't enjoy the movie. I was watching it and being like, my brain was kind of being like, oh, that's kind of cliche. Like, oh, I've kind of seen that before. It's like, oh, I've like already watched so many movies that have done this before. But Silence of the Lambs was the first one right. it's to the do blueprint. a lot. It is the blueprint. Yeah. And because it's the blueprint. Those things exist because of them. Yes. And because it was the blueprint, watching something like was actually like not scary at all. And like, it's like, hmm. I, I know. That's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like, again, it's it's only because I'm watching it in 2022 and not in 1991 that I'm having this experience of the film. But I think the, you know, transphobia and queerphobia of it all that, that we're going to get into later is the kind of icing on the cake of why the totality of the movie was just kind of like meh for me. But I do think the climax is really good. I think the dramatic tension is obviously masterful. I don't really understand the best actor wins. But like, yeah. I mean, uh, that's just that's just something that I have to disagree with. Yeah, you on. Okay. I think I think they are both incredible performances. Anthony Hopkins I I think, like, every second he's on screen, you can't look away from him. And he is just so... I don't think there had been this kind of figure in a movie at this point in pop culture of this, like, um, like the elevated villain, you know, like the... Stoic, good manners, mm -hmm. even spoken. You know, he wasn't a caricature of a monster, even though he does very monstrous things. He's literally a cannibal. Mm -hmm. Um... And I think that dichotomy is sort of what makes him such a compelling villain is, you know, he wants to eat you, but with fava beans and a nice Chianti. Right, right, right. Yeah, that actually, that line perfectly distills, like, I think, him as a character. For me, it almost, like, made him boring. Like, uh, like that was, like, again, like, the, the experience I was having of, of the film, but, like... I think it's worth noting that, like, they went out to so many other prestige actors before landing on Anthony Hopkins, who had, like, a, a lot of credits, but wasn't as big as um, Sean Connery, who was the first person to to be tapped for the role, Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Dustin Hoffman, Daniel Day-Lewis, and even Forrest Whitaker auditioned for this role, which, like, Forrest would have been um, amazing, I'm sure. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like— um, But I, I don't think it could have been anyone but Anthony Hopkins. He just does it— so perfectly. I think Dustin Hoffman would have been good. But that's because I... I can't really see him because he's never played a role like this. And I would say that his role in... I would say him as Hook is actually maybe a little... Yeah, but he's not like a cannibal in Hook. And he's I think a, a lot villainous, of this... a lot of effeminate, a villainous even... Sure. Maybe. Yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a leap. But, but um, you, know. you know, 
I do believe that Silence of the Lambs is very much an outlier in horror being given, you know, mainstream critical acclaim. Right. It was unprecedented. Also, something Jaws was like the only one, maybe. Yeah. Also, it was a huge commercial success, and um, something that I I learned recently about part of what contributed to that is that it came out at the beginning of the year in 1991, and it had a whole year until award season. And so it came out and then later that year was already released on home video. Oh. So it was something that so many people were able to watch as the fervor around it really built up so that by the time the Oscars came around, it had reached this critical mass of consumption and it was just the something that everyone had seen and it was like unavoidable like to you know talk about it it being a good movie like it was a great movie it was both you know a critical success and a commercial one and rarely if ever do those things overlap today you know we have this idea of like the popcorn movies and then the serious films and this is one of the few times that those two have come together in this kind of way. Yeah, there are certain VHS tape covers that are like on the shelves of Blockbuster that are now singed into your memory from like browsing when I was like eight or ten or whatever. And Silence of the Lambs, like that cover is definitely With the one moth. of them. With the moth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very like, it has a punctum, you know? It's immediately something that A you, what? A punctum. Punk, what is that? It's like a photography term where like you take a photo and the photo just works because all of the different components of it are like coming together. Like it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Oprah's aha moment of like an image. You know what I mean? You're like, okay. ah, this image just works and there's something to it that I can't necessarily describe, but it's just like, you're like, I can't forget it. You know, mm. do you know who they went out to for Jodie Foster's role before they, she got it? Who? Um, Michelle Pfeiffer. Okay. Meg Ryan. Okay. And Laura Dern. Laura would have been amazing. Yeah, and I wonder if, you know, looking at these looking at these lists of all the people who passed on it, I think probably what, you know, I've just been talking about is probably part of the reason is these actors didn't want to quote unquote lower themselves to be in this like paperback adaptation, you know, mainstream popcorn movie, horror movie. Yeah. Um that ended up being a huge, you know, commercial and critical success. Yeah. And really made the careers of Jodie Foster and and, and like Anthony Hopkins maybe to a lesser extent. It's definitely career defining. Career defining. This is the role that he will always be remembered for. Certainly yeah. not Westworld. Yeah. And to your point, um Sean Connery when he read the script, he was like this is like revolting or something and he turned it down and Michelle Pfeiffer turned it down specifically because she was like I can't do this subject matter like it's too it's too ishy um can I can I say when we were watching the movie I think honestly here's 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 what I'm actually how I'm actually feeling a little bit about the movie is that like I um I'm again I'm not trying to say it's like bad or anything or like take it down a peg no, no, I actually am trying to take it down a peg because like I think when I was watching it is like this is an amazing movie I don't really feel that it belongs in the canon of greatest movies of all time because it is frequently ranked in the greatest movies of all time kind of lists that critics and cinephiles always make. Like, this is always up there. I feel like I'm seeing it everywhere. And when I watched it, I was like, 
a, a greatest movie of all time is like timeless. And like, this is not timeless at all. Like it, it has, it lacks a relevancy in the conceit of the murderers and like the kind of reveal of this skin suit and like all these different things. I was like, it just doesn't feel, um, it didn't feel at all like something I could give myself to um, in terms of like the dramatic tension. You know what I mean? Like I was yeah, just kind of distracted I, by it. But, but, and this is not me being shady. Isn't that just kind of the nature of how you watch movies is you are very distracted and this movie is very slow and introspective. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am very easily bored. That is um, totally true. Uh, I think um, part of what I'm responding to is like the Riddler energy <laughs> that like Anthony Hopkins was giving Jodie Foster, like when he was just like, you know, being like Buffalo Bill is an Enneagram for fucking, I don't know, bubble butt or whatever. It's like, it's like, I actually like don't care about the anagrams. Like I don't care about like the puzzles. Oh, I think that's so, for... I think that's so clever. I just, I didn't, there were too many enneagram and anagrams, too many anagrams, too many of the kind of like riddles and clues. And I was just like, but that's the whole point of the movie. Yeah. But it wasn't like true. That's not how true crime works. Like, but what do you mean by that? Because in a lot of ways, this movie is kind of one of the origins of our contemporary fascination with true crime. Because, I think because the things that the clues revealed, like the fact that Hester, whatever her face is, is like an anagram for the rest of her or something like that. I was like, it's just, it wasn't compelling to me. Like, it wasn't like mind-shatteringly, like... It wasn't a mind-shattering twist. Like, that's kind of how I was... I'm being such, like, a kind of Debbie Downer about this. Like, I actually... Yeah, like... I think you're... Lo- I think the thing is, this is not a movie about twists. And, you know, it's funny because... It is I... about twists. The skin suit is a big reveal. Yeah, but it's not a movie where it's like there's one singular gag that it's all building I to. I think the skin suit is one singular gag that the movie I don't. To. I don't think so. I think this movie, more than anything, is about the relationship between... Clarice and Hannibal Lecter. Well, yeah, 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 obviously. But and that's and not what the, the movie's murder, building to. And no, but but that's the most interesting part of Definitely. it and the most enduring part of it. So I think you're kind of a little bit judging it against the movie that you kind of were expecting it to be rather than the movie it actually is. Yeah, I think so too. Um, my main takeaway, honestly, is that I want Buffalo Bill's nipple ring. I think it was really good. Yeah, I, I see, this is why I keep saying I want to get my nipples re <laughs> And it was a cool, it was a, like okay. a perfect, perfect nipple ring. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. 
could just be a me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Let's talk about the Buffalo Bill of it all. (laughs) Because I think you're going to have a different take on this than I am. Maybe you won't. But I don't have a problem with Buffalo Bill. I think Buffalo Bill's iconic. Um, Mm -hmm. And... One of the things I appreciate about this movie that gets lost and abstracted a lot in the way that we talk about it more broadly in pop culture, the Thomas Harris's novel and the film are very specific in saying that Buffalo Bill is not trans. Yeah, he's a man. He's a man. And Thomas Harris has said multiple times both when his book came out, when this movie came out, and in years past, that he wanted to make it very clear that Buffalo Bill wasn't trans. And he has said, I think in years since, like that he still feels like he let down trans people in the way Mm. that Buffalo Bill is depicted. And I think more so the way that culture reacted to Buffalo Bill Mm -hmm. and the way that Buffalo Bill has kind of become this symbol of like what, transphobic people think about trans people Mm -hmm. um but i did really appreciate that nuance in the movie even though it's obviously a very dated kind of nuance because the way that they like quote-unquote decide that buffalo bill or prove that buffalo bill isn't trans is that he doesn't want surgery he doesn't kind of fit the bill uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) of of you know trans people who have like a sort of diagnosable um you know like 
illness of being trans. It is a little transmedicalist. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that I think the word pathologizing is the right word for how this um, how Buffalo Bill's character goes down. Um, in the same in the same way, like most horror films, pathologize like people with disabilities, right? Or like we've also we've probably seen other kind of trans villainy reveals and stories in horror films of yore. And so, you know, to your point, like, yes, I, I I think when I watched the Buffalo Bill character, I was like, this is like, to me, scary, really well done. The use of the the fucking horses song was amazing. Um, I think the sequence when he's like dancing is great. So good. So good. It's, I think, was my favorite, like part of the film, like the reveal of that and the nipple ring and all that stuff. Like, I actually really loved it. So I, um, it's but, like, I'd fuck me. But before I kind of like give my take, I actually am curious. So are you saying, so you said the book specifically says Buffalo Bill is not trans. Do you think the movie blurs those lines or do you think the movie also says? No, the movie also says that. The movie also says that. Yeah. You don't think there's like a kind of, Okay, so if the movie also says that, despite that, culturally, people conflate the experience of, like, trans people with, like, serial killer cross-dressers or Yes, whatever. because if you look at it on its face, Buffalo Bill is someone who wants to um, possess and wear femininity in, yeah. like, a very literal way. He wants to skin these women and turn them into clothing that he can wear, yeah. which is something that it's – it's a trope that exists – um, when you talk about trans people and why yeah. TERFs and transphobes hate trans people, especially trans women, is because they think that they are co-opting um, and appropriating femininity to wear it as a costume right. in order to gain access to women's spaces and brutalize them. Right. And that is a discussion that did not exist, uh, at least in the mainstream, in 91. And so I think my the way I kind of felt when I was watching it First of all, it must be said that, like, you and I would love to write a serial killer thriller where a trans woman is the the big bad. You know what I mean? Like, or a trans yeah. person is the big bad. Like, that would be an amazing movie. Um, second of all, there's nothing that I or you can really say that hasn't already been said in, like, the Disclosure documentary. If you haven't watched it, they talk about Silence of the Lambs briefly in a really distinct way. I am someone who doesn't, like, go to old movies and be like canceled it's so problematic like this movie is so transphobic or like whatever um because as i said like the discussions just weren't like that in 91 this is like to some extent as good as it got for trans people on screen or rather gender deviant people on screen which is like a more accurate term here and um uh, i think all i'm trying to say is that because of the now dated conversations around cross-dressing in the film, I don't really feel like it's one of the greatest movies of all time. Like, that's, like, really what I'm trying to say and why I'm being a little bit of a sourpuss about it. But, like, I do, like, I want to see trans villains. Like, that's, like, my tea. Like, I, I want to see, like, even, like, this Dahmer series that came out or whatever, I'm like, and he's, like, a gay serial killer or whatever. It's like, I want to watch that. Like, I do. Like, I'm sorry, but, like, I do want to watch that. Um, yeah, and I mean so I the different the difference with... for me with Dahmer is that's based in reality, and <laughs> this is a fantasy. That is like fully a lot of how I felt it about it too. But <laughs> just as a quick aside, I unfortunately watched the entire series. <laughs> I know you did, and and I don't I don't um, you know, judge you harshly for that because I think there is a direct line from Silence of the Lambs to Dahmer. Definitely. Silence of the Lambs, 
move all the movies that came after it that were inspired by it, the rise of true crime podcasts, all of these things have led to something like Dahmer existing. And a lot of people want to consume that type of media. Yeah, the show really tries to justify itself and justify the real-life harm that this show is enacting on the real-life families of the victims that are in this story, like, literally in this story. Um, And there's a lot about it, like, on Twitter or, like, in reviews that you can read about. Um, That's honestly what's unfortunate is, like, the rest of the series actually was, like, some of Ryan Murphy's, like, better thriller drama in recent memory. Like, it's better than a lot of, like, recent American Horror Story series. But it's just the wrong franchise like it it doesn't make sense it's so cliche and expected for him to do something like this but like even the title like the title is Dahmer colon monster colon the Jeffrey Dahmer story like what the fuck is that it's like he was like oh I want to make it a true I want it to be um a uh fucking American Horror Story series, but, like, that's too, like, dangerous and, like, the victims won't like that, so I'm gonna invent a new franchise called Monster because it doesn't exactly fit into, like, the American Crime Story series either. Like, it just totally does not make any sense. I feel like they're, in the in the rest of, just to, like, air out a handful of complaints now that I have about this series because, like, I just need to say something, but, like, there are a handful of, like, virtuous, like, cop narratives The show tries to also be a very black story and tries to center the victims and tries to show their side of the story. And Niecy Nash is like a really good hero in um, how the arc of the series moves. But it's like, you can't, like, I was telling you, I was telling you that there's like this scene specifically where... um, uh, you know, Nisi Nash is like, she lives in this apartment complex where Dahmer killed a bunch of people, like some of his most gruesome murders. And there are people, as the story, you know, um, comes to light in the series, there are um, looky-loos who come and like take photos of the murder house. And Nisi Nash is like, people died here. Like, these are our real lives. And you're standing here taking photos. And I'm like, this is exactly what the show is doing. That's insane. It's It's a complete lack of self-awareness. It's literally like, I'm sorry, like Ryan Murphy is like farting and then like eating his own farts. Like it it actually makes no sense, but it's just like, this is like, when when we consume culture like this, especially culture that's like in, ultimately in the hands of like white creators, the question of intent actually does become really important, but also like warped and tricky because we don't really know the intent of like, how everyone is supposed to be, like, seen in this series and whether Dahmer is supposed to be, whether you're supposed to, there are a few moments where, like, you sympathize for Dahmer. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, what is this? And there is, I will say, the sixth episode, which is one of the best episodes of TV I've seen this year, unfortunately, um, tells the story of this black deaf victim a black gay deaf victim of Dahmer's. And the the story is kind of almost like a bottle episode that follows him around and how he comes into Dahmer's orbit. And this is unfortunately also the episode where you have like a hair of sympathy for Dahmer because he almost builds a relation. This is the only victim that he ostensibly builds a relationship with, which is completely fabricated, not real at all. But, um, most of the episode is in ASL. And the actor, um, Rodney Burford, who's from Deaf U, which is, like, one of my favorite, like, I loved that show so much, if you haven't watched it. Um, A first-time actor, deaf actor, cast in a deaf role, and I was like, this is, like, 
like so amazing to watch. I just like hate that it's um in service of something that is like so horrible. Um the ninth episode is directed by Greg Araki, which is kind of cool. Oh, I love Greg Araki. I know. I got to interview him once and I like almost pissed shit and came uh, all at the same time. He's one of my cultural blind spots. I don't really we should, we should have a we Greg, should do yeah, we should do an episode. We should um watch Doom Generation and talk about it oh um like back to our like john wayne gacy episode um there is at toward the end of the series the uh ryan murphy kind of like cuts from Dahmer and introduces john wayne gacy as a kind of like cultural character and moment during this time because i guess like his murder was maybe happening his like story was happening around the same time that Dahmer's story was coming out or maybe John Wayne Gacy was inspired by Dahmer's or something like that. Yeah, I mean, there was kind of this era of serial killers in the 70s, 80s. Yeah, and it was really, it was almost as if like Ryan Murphy was like pitching a John Wayne Gacy show. Like it was like a completely different world. It was a world. backdoor pilot. Yeah, like. it, was, it was a backdoor pilot. It's exactly what it was. Um, There's also a virtuous landlord narrative in this series that was like super... Um, annoying, and I feel like at the end of the day, the show is still centering Dahmer and centering Dahmer's parents, and it's like these are actually the narratives that we care the least about that deserve the least amount of storytelling. But in it's my clearly opinion. the narratives that the people making the show mm-hmm. care the most about and Say find that. the most interesting. They are the most interested in the pathology of the serial killer, and that is something that our culture wants and is as as I said. You can trace it directly back to Silence of the Lambs because this whole movie is about pathologizing a serial killer. Mm -hmm. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating 
Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of Melon Leaf stem cell technology. It's Melon Leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. To me, the thing that Silence of the Lambs does well, that unfortunately Dahmer also does kind of well, but that you say is the engine of the movie is the relationship and intimacy built with a serial killer. That a serial killer is not just this, you know, oogie boogie monster lurking in shadows who you don't see until the end of the movie. Like the serial killer can be right at the beginning um, at some points helping and assisting the um, prospects of moral good um, being a kind of almost accomplice in uh, the hero's, like, uh, I guess, like, main goals. Yeah, well, the silence... And silen- that, Yeah, I, I mean, as I was saying before, The Silence of the Lambs is about... It's not really about Buffalo Bill. It's not about, um, you know, Frederica Bimmel. It's about Clarice and Hannibal Lecter. Yep. I mean, it's right there in the title, The Silence of the Lambs. Are, can you still hear the lambs screaming? It's a which is something that Hannibal Lecter says to Clarice. It's about their relationship, and that is the most compelling thing about this movie. It's about a woman who has to dive into the absolute depths of evil in order to save someone. And what does she find there? What does she lose in the process? What does she learn about herself in the process? Um, and how does that change you? And like. Was it worth it? Was it worth it to save this life for her that now she is forever connected to this man? And you kind of end the movie not knowing. And you know, what is what is the cost of her, you know, descent into hell, basically, you know, with this man who she, you know, through um having him help her solve this case escapes and is at large in the world again like was it worth it yeah to save one life and i don't know if you know this but something else that really enriched the the kind of like arc of that relationship was the fact that jodie foster and anthony hopkins never spoke on set did you know that i didn't they cool they literally never spoke on set i mean anthony hopkins is only in the movie for like 15 minutes you know but like i like 15 minutes total 
But like, it is it is kind of crazy. You know, this kind of goes back to when we were discussing Pearl. I love a character study mm-hmm. movie. Um, and I think this film does that so well. You know, so much of this movie is about Clarice's place um, in the FBI and what it's like to be a woman in her field. And, you know, she spends the first half of the movie kind of being dismissed or used or sexualized by the men around her. And then the one man who respects her is a serial killer, the one man who takes her seriously. And it makes her very important. It makes her the only person who can solve this crime and save the day. And that was what I found really fascinating about it. Like, I don't get why Clarice is so special. Um, I don't get why Hannibal Lecter is obsessed with her. And I don't think there's an answer for those things. I don't think the film wants you to find out. I think it just wants you to keep asking those questions. Um, And those are the kind of movies I like. Uh, Jodie Foster very specifically took this role because she said she had the utmost respect for um, FBI agents. <laughs> Did you know that? She has the utmost respect for FBI agents? Yes, she she took she decided to take on the role because she really respected what the FBI How do did. we feel about the FBI in, in, in <laughs> the context well, of, you know, hating, uh, hating uh, the, I, the police force? I love the FBI putting themselves in mortal danger. I think if that if they want to do that, I, I'm, I'm, you know, go off queen. And I also think, you know, women in the FBI representation matters rose like i think that i i think that you know jodie foster really went there i think at one time in my life i wanted to be an fbi agent you would be amazing you'd be so good but i think i would be so if i was clarice (laughs) i mean i would have run off with hannibal lecter and we would be you know like a cannibal power couple yeah yeah, i think that's also something we should talk about is the cannibalism of it all yeah you know it's I mean, also going back to Dahmer, mm-hmm. who, you know, ate his victims mm-hmm. because he wanted to feel close to them. Mm-hmm. He ate their hearts. What? What is it with cannibalism? <laughs> I'm not saying I want to eat human flesh because I'm a cannibal or, like, because I want to, like, sure, um, sure, 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 you know, sure, sure. like, right, be right, close right, right. to someone or, like, maintain their essence. I'm more approaching it from curiosity. Well, I mean, not to blow up your spot, but, like, s- s- and I'm a biter. I was just about to say you're a biter. I'm, I'm glad biter. you got there before no, I did. No, I am a biter. I have I have um, been told in sexual scenarios before that I bite a little too hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've experienced it. Not I, in a sexual capacity, but you have bitten me hard. Well, we could make it a sexual capacity. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a scratcher. I'm a biter. I'm a hair puller. Um, Anyways, next and, week. I, both, we... I like both inflicting and receiving pain. But I also want to say uh-huh. that I actually think people eating my body when I die would be the best case scenario for me. I would love that. Instead of cremation or anything? or Yeah, well, because I don't really want to be buried. Yeah, no. Um, cremated, sure. But I would love to, for my body to do something useful. I would love for it to nourish people. Like, if okay, if this was Yellow Jackets <laughs> um, and you needed to eat me to survive, I, I want you to eat me. If our plane goes down, Fran... I want you to eat. You me. know that is a circumstance wherein I would eat someone. Yeah, and I, I know I, that, probably, and honestly, I know that I'm the one who's gonna get eaten because yeah. I think you're more of a survivalist. 
than I am. Well, you would give up immediately, no offense. <laughs> yeah, that's actually <laughs> absolutely true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would literally, like, day one of Yellow Jackets, he'd be like, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Um, goodbye. Or, you say it like that. Or, you'd be like, goodbye. Goodbye. Or would I end up being the, like, dear queen? Mm, I, cu- I, I think I, I think could. I think if you mani- had the willpower. I think if I had the willpower. I think if I could manipulate other people into like surviving for me but i think you're too smart for it i think you're like existence in this scenario is a scam yeah and i don't need to actually be in the drama (laughs) okay that's that's (laughs) but you would definitely become the dear queen more than i would sure um but all that is to say is that when i die um could be any day now i would love for i would love nothing more than for you to feast on my flesh friend thank you i will keep that in mind rose and Phoebe, if you want to take a bite too. <laughs> take a bite, take, take a, a bite. bite. <laughs> it's a sour candy. This has been another special Halloween bonus ep. Um, we will be doing spooky topics this entire month, but you can continue to send us suggestions if you want through Instagram DMs or wherever you find us. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or rating on Spotify. It helps us so much. I'm your co-host, Fran Torado, and you can find me at Fran Squishco wherever you want on social. And I'm Rose Domu. You can find me at Rose Domu wherever you want. And... Come back this Thursday because we'll be back with another regular episode with news and a main topic. You can subscribe to Like a Virgin anywhere you listen. And this is an iHeartRadio production. Our producer is Phoebe Unter with support from Lindsay Hoffman, Julian Weller, Jess Krainchich, and Nikki Etor. Until next week, see you later, virgins. Bye. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 4621249 The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. 
Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.